I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Listeners, welcome to another episode of Thriving Matters. And my guest is none other than the most amazing Irishman I think I have ever met in my whole life, Derek McCann. Good morning, Derek. How are you? Good morning, Carrie, and very, very well. And thank you for that fantastic welcome. I'm assuming that I'm the only Irish guy you've ever met. No. <laughs> and I do know a few, I do know a few others. And really, I have a little bit of Irish in my heritage. So that touch of cheekiness, I think, comes from from my mother's heritage. <laughs> well, it, 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 obviously, um, you got an awful lot more than a touch in you because you have an awful lot more than that touch of cheekiness in there. So uh, <laughs> congratulations. I, 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 it's, it's lovely to, have a, uh, to be talking with a cousin this morning. That's right. We're all related, aren't we, somewhere along the line? <laughs> yeah, exactly, oh. exactly. Look, Derek, it's an absolute pleasure. So thank you for popping on to have a chat today. Our Thriving Matters podcasts are all about pretty ordinary everyday people like yourself and I who Mm. are doing extraordinary things and Mm. I think we can actually say that because when you're passionate about what you're doing and you love the work that you're doing it doesn't become work it Mm. becomes the way you live and I know that for you when I googled your name I did have a very big chuckle Derek I ran out of pages Google wouldn't give me (laughs) <laughs> any more pages after 10 and every page you know how you you scroll down the page every entry had Derek McCann Derek McCann Derek McCann <laughs> so I'm just going to put it out there man you've got Google all over the place <laughs> yeah what can I say I, I like to talk and uh, uh, and I've got I, I've obviously got a bit of an ego as well but but I have to say I've been doing a lot of this speaking thing for a lot of years and uh, whether you want it or not, and don't get me wrong, I want it, it does leak onto Google. And uh, it gives me a little egoistic boost on the <laughs> occasion when folks like yourself go in and find a few pages. It gives me, it gives me a, a little smile inside. Now, Derek, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, we know that you've written a number of books. You are the author of Leadership Charisma. Yeah. Uh, you've co-authored things. You've worked uh, not only in Europe, but in America. So a little bit more about us for our listeners. Yeah, with, without going back too, too far, uh, I think one of the things that defines my approach to things in general is the fact that I'm a failed engineer. And oh. that is to say, I, I qualified as an electronic engineer because when I was growing up, and I was born in 59, so I did my sort of growing up in the 70s, my dad said, Electronics is the thing of the future, son. You need to be an electronics engineer. And so my dad is, knows everything. So I took his advice and became an engineer. And after six months uh, practicing as an engineer, I realized I wasn't an engineer. I had the qualifications, but it wasn't just me. And somehow, whether I give thanks to God or fate or synchronicity, I found myself drawn into the world 
of working with people and helping people really to to optimize the way they show up, what they get from the relationships and so on and so forth, and found that, hey, this is what really lights me up. This is what really gets me excited. If, I, if, an, if in a day I can interact with somebody and I get a sense that in that interaction, one, from a selfish point of view, I've grown a little bit, but second, if I think, wow, there, there was a little bit of a shift, there was a little bit of a sense of an, an aha on the part of that person. That is the best moment of my day, my week, my month. Uh, and so that's really, for the last 25, 30 years, regardless of what I've been doing to uh, put money in the bank, my real passion and orientation has been people. And that's brought me to several books. The Charisma one is an interesting one you mentioned. And that was inspired by a mentor of mine who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, a gentleman called Jim Servascu who uh, was one of the founders of a company called Profiles International in the United States. And he was the sort of person who, when he walked into a room, he raised the temperature two or three degrees, the sun got a little bit brighter, and you just felt more capable, more yourself, better. And it made me curious, what is it to make somebody like that um, so different? What is it about the way they show up that makes everybody in a room feel their presence? And I wrote the book on charisma. Ultimately, I moved away from the concept of charisma because it's, it's, it's just too limiting and ended up you know, in the whole area of uh, emotional intelligence, which is a much broader canvas that you can yeah. use to describe how the people show up to one another. And that's what I do right now. And you know what? We all have crappy days, but most of my days, I thank God that... I can make money doing uh, this work because it is just it it is just so fulfilling. Well, it doesn't become work anymore, does it? We live in a, a world that revolves around paying for our way of life, for mm. opportunities, for putting food on the table, you know that sort of thing, and that's a necessity. But really, those dollars become insignificant in a way when you really love what you do. And what you're talking about is a great phrase that I've, I've picked up just recently. Um, you know, if you love what you do in the service of others who love what you do, well, then it doesn't become a job. It moves from being the job to how you want to show up each day. And it doesn't become a task. And it yeah. gets you out of bed. And I'm going to ask you, you know, what actually puts a smile on your face most mornings when you get up? Well, you know, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not the happiest, clappiest person in the world, I, I don't think. Uh, the majority of people, when they meet me, they think, wow, it must be great to be so happy and so up and so positive all the time. And so there are some mornings I get up and there's not a smile on my face, you know, and I, I'm just like every other punter in the world that I'm feeling sorry for myself and the, the, the world is, is pressing down upon me, uh, just like everyone else. But man, on those mornings when I get out of bed, and I have a, a sense of possibility and, and a sense that what I'm going to do is going to make a difference, uh, both for myself and, and not to sound too corny, but in the world. Because I, I genuinely believe this, this whole thing that of um, the kind of butterfly flapping his wings in, in Tokyo. If you get up and you make a difference in your smallest corner of the world with the small number of people that you're dealing with, and uh, you make any sort of a, a positive impact, you have no idea how much that ripples out through the world. And on the days that I sense that possibility, that really lights me up. 
But as I say, there are days I get up and I have to work hard to pull myself into that place. But you, you nailed it there a couple of months ago when you said when you, what you're doing, you know, really kind of accords with your values and, and the, who you want to be in the world. It, that's what makes getting out of bed exciting more days than not. Well, I think you've nailed it really because you're genuine and you're being authentic when you say, you know, not every day starts with a big smile. I like this, your notion of when you sense the possibility. And I think that's what we're all about. It's above the line thinking. Instead of going, oh, woe be me. Well, actually, if it was a good day, what's it going to look like? Where are the little shining moments that are going to be there for me? And when you look back on your day, you go, Actually, it wasn't all bad. Yeah, I was under the pump. I went from this to this. I actually had to change direction. I actually got caught out and thought, wow, haven't had to solve anything like this before. There's the sense of possibility of a different result. And I think that's the that optimistic thinking where we're looking for solutions and options and not thinking, oh, no, I can't solve this and bang, <laughs> down I go. So thanks for being so honest, Eric. <laughs> Oh, no, I hate people who come across as all happy, clappy, and like the, the Facebook life. And the Facebook life is always the perfect life and nothing ever goes wrong. We all know that however close to the Facebook life you are, it doesn't bloody exist. You know, we all have these moments when we get the knockbacks. But I'll tell you, one of the things, you, you got me thinking there a moment ago and you said, what puts a smile on your face? On those mornings when I do get up in the morning and... And it's far from a smile on my face for whatever reason. It could be just my blood sugar is down. It could be I haven't had enough uh, sleep. It might have been that I've had a crappy week. Whatever it happens to be. On those mornings when I get out of bed in the morning, as you know, I have a ritual. And it's the one that I shared with uh, the folks at the recent Genos conference. And this is something that people listening can find very, very useful. I have a coin in my pocket. Now, as it happens, this is a specially made coin. But it doesn't matter. What I do with some people that we coach is is I suggest them get a foreign coin or some kind of object that will fit in your pocket. And every morning when you get up, you take it off your bed stand. And as you're putting it into your pocket, you think, how do I want to show up today? What impact do I want to be? Who do I want to be? And some mornings you'll say to yourself, I want to show up as my best self. I want to show up as the person I showed up with last week when I had a great day. And, And you don't quite believe it yourself. And yet... I find that the cumulative effect of doing that over time is that you have more mornings when you start to believe it and it starts to become normal. And then back end of the day, as that coin comes out of the pocket and I put it back on the bedstand, one of the things I've cultivated over the last year or two, which I found phenomenally uh, impactful, is just as that goes back on the, the bedstand, I just figure out what are the two or three things today that I have to be grateful for. What are the things that went well? And a friend of mine suggested, don't look for big things. He said, look for the tiniest little things. Like, for example, I had a great cup of coffee. Or (laughs) I didn't get stuck in traffic this morning. Or I got all of my to-do lists cleared. And there's real wisdom in it. He said, because if you can find those small things and be grateful for them, the big things take care of themselves. And so I've been running that ritual for the last year and a half or thereabouts, absolutely every day. I wouldn't remember if I didn't have the widget in my pocket, but that definitely, that tends to put a smile on my face more mornings than I otherwise would have a smile on my face. Uh, Look, I love what you've just shared with everybody. And you know, many, many people (laughs) use something like that. Now, I grew up in a religious family (laughs) and 
even to this day, I have a tiny little sachet and they're little beads, right? Yep. They're little rosary beads. I'm there going to go. tell everybody. Yep. Uh, and it doesn't matter now. I always make sure they are with me. It's very interesting. Even after all these years, and I'm now in another significant decade of my life, mm. and I look at them and you're quite right. It's what you do with them, what a memory brings back for yep. you or how you tap into them. And that little ritual of uh, gratitude, two to three things during the day that you are grateful for, is so true. It's the aroma of the coffee even. Mm. I, I just went into a very large regional city in um, New South Wales for work. And when I arrived at, at, in this town, the, the people I were working with said to me, oh, by the way, so-and-so's here as well. And I just went, you're joking. That is phenomenal. So within a second, we both had connected via the phone. Where are you? Both excited to see each other. And I went, what a bonus. It even, the, the workshop went off even more uh, successfully than I'd hoped because I'd already got myself into a, a great space by going, fabulous, really have high regard for this girl. And I went, so good to see each other. The feeling was mutual, which was even better. And I just thought, wow, how to start off a great 48 hours, you know, yeah. away from yeah. home, doing work. So you look for the small things, you know. If it hadn't been part of the conversation, we probably would have missed each other. But because yeah. you're curious and yeah. you're sharing things like that, that yeah. becomes the gem as well. I know. Star, it's star quality, isn't it, really? <laughs> it really is. It really is. You know what you, you got me thinking about there because you look at – um, what makes you happy and, and and my mind goes back to something that really had a big impact on me when he first published it Martin Seligman as you know is the he's the, the father of modern positive psychology and he's done a lot of work over the years to look at when do people flourish and the thing that always sticks in my mind and you just hit on one of his uh, his five key elements for flourishing and that was relationships and he has a model that he calls PERMA P-E-R-M-A and he yeah. says, these are the five dimensions that make a life feel flourishing. And one of them is relationships. He says, authentic mm. connections. And that's really critically important. And there's a lot of research out there even to, to, to say that we live longer, we live longer, healthier life when we have good connections and authentic connections with other people. But the other things that he has in there, and I won't do them in order, but I, I'll share them with you, is the, the other one that's in there, which is the M, so it's PERMA, is meaning. And you've got to yes. find meaning in what you're doing. And, and whatever it is, and however humble uh, what you're doing is, it's having an impact somewhere that yeah. on, on someone that is positive. And so you need to find that meaning. The other thing, other things that he talks about, engagement. You know, so finding flow, finding something, if it's not in your work life, that's in your everyday life, where, where you can get so engaged with it that time goes by quickly, you're able to do it and you're challenged. And so his, his model, if you're trying to figure out what's the, the element that's missing that's, that my life is not, not lighting up, his model is simply positive emotion. you got to have that. you got to find ways of, of not creating that, but of being in situations where, where you get to experience it. Engagement, good relationships, meanings, and then accomplishments. You know, figure out what is it I want to do? You know, and then go after it and then congratulate yourself every time you, you get an achievement. And I think it's for anybody listening, if you haven't heard of Seligman's PERMA model, 
dive into it uh, on the web. There's shed loads of stuff up there, but it gives you a real sense of what does a well-rounded life look like. And you will see, like I saw, one or two elements are a little bit light and you need to figure out how do I, how do I enhance those? But anyway, I've been rambling there for a couple of seconds. Um, they're really <laughs> worth looking at that. It is. Derek, um, you've talked about some significant people in your life. Yep. Um, you've talked about not only people that you've worked with, but also yep. researchers such as Martin Seligman. Has there been an event or a situation in your life that really impacted on you and you altered the way you showed up each day? And that's just, it's become now the way that you, you do show up. You know, it becomes the mm. way that you are, that people know you. Because I've known you now for... I suppose it's about seven years in previous life. I can look back and find out bits of information about you. And each time yeah. I'm around you or near you or talk to you, I get snippets about you as, as you go through. But mm. is, there, is there something that you'd be willing to share with us that was significant in a way that affected the way you now show up and, and the person you have become? Yeah, I, I think there are two. And, and one of them had a lesser direct impact, but, but nonetheless has informed uh, even the way I think today. And that was, you know, that man I mentioned earlier on, Jim Servascu, very, very inspiring character. And in fact, um, as I sit talking to you, I have a small picture of him on my desk. He died in 2010, tragically. And, and, um, and I have a picture of him. And, and on the, the picture, uh, underneath the picture, he was one of his very, very famous uh, or favorite sayings. I, it, I don't think it even belonged to him. He, he always said, think with your imagination, not with your memory. And, uh, and that was really, he, he, and he, every time you'd sit down to have a conversation with him about developing the business or improving your life, he continually remind you, think with your imagination, not with your memory. And, and that whole attitude and the, the fact that it's still sitting on my desk and here we are in 2020 and it still will be sitting on my desk in 2030 if I'm around, that man had an enormous impact. And the other thing that impacted me, I realized that just simply, and, and I wouldn't have put these words on it at the time, but that the way you show up really does determine the way people feel and the way they feel determines the extent to which they engage with you and that determines everything. And he yeah. modeled that in every aspect of his life. And that was the first time I had a sense that it's not what you do, it's how you do it. It's how you show up and who you are and how authentic you are. So that was, that was one, and I remember distinctly thinking, wow, that man is having his impact, not by being brilliant and clever, which he was, but just by being who he is and being authentic. And that was an aha moment, definitely. And you know, that was decided aha moment. But another aha moment was when I had what was, would probably in the old days have been called a midlife crisis. Uh, <laughs> okay. and, and you know, midlife crisis, um, it comes in so many forms. I think I always think midlife crisis is a little bit like irritable bowel syndrome. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, uh, in the sense that it's a label that people use to cover a multitude of things that they can think of no other definition for. And so yes. uh, if yes. you happen to be in around your, your uh, 40s, late 40s, and your life goes off the, the, the rails a little bit, they'll often say it was a midlife crisis. But with me, <laughs> I, was working, I was working at the time in a job with Serbascu's company where I was earning more money than I thought I would ever earn doing a job I loved with people I loved. And, and, and it was just, life was as good as it could get. 
And I'm blessed that uh, even at 60 now, I still have both of my parents. I haven't lost anybody close to me in 30 years. I have a wonderful family. I have great relationships. I have great friends. So, so let me just say that my life was as good as it possibly could be. There was no great adversity there. We all have adversity, but no great amount. And one morning, and I have to assume it started one morning, I got up and I felt just a little bit anxious about the future. And just a little bit, what if? And you know those questions you ask yourself, what if? Yeah. What if this happens? What if this job went away? What if my parents become unwell? What if Marie stops loving me? You know, what if I have to tie a bone around my neck to get the dog to play with me? Um, uh, and, uh, and that what if started. And there was just this creeping anxiety. And I'm a fixer. I like to fix everything and, and because I'm an engineering mindset. So I thought, how do I fix this? And after weeks or months of trying to fix it, I couldn't fix it. And what I started to find was a little bit of creeping depression because I started to feel down because I was anxious and I couldn't feel unanxious. And then as I got down, I started to feel anxious that I was depressed and the depression deepened, the anxiety deepened. And lots of people listening to this will recognize that spiral as you circle the, the drain and you just have this spiral that goes anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression. And on the outside, it's happy, clappy Derek smiling and over, all over his face. And nobody knew, including my wife. I shared it with nobody, but I was living, and I don't know who originally used this form of words, a life of quiet desperation. And it, and it really was, it was the most horrific maybe 12 months of my life where I tried in secret uh, antidepressant uh, tablets. And of course, they have an impact upon your personality and then the way you're showing up at home. And then people whom you're not sharing with will wonder what the hell's going on with him and they'll jump to all the wrong conclusions. And it, it was just a really messy time. And I tried to, to fix, I tried to fix it. I tried to fix it by going to therapy and therapists and, and psychologists, psychiatrists, and to lots of all sorts of, you know, borderline culty and, and silly sort of um, uh, self-improvement things. And then answering your question, one day I stumbled across a, a book with the ridiculous title, and I still think it's ridiculous because it's, this is not how you sell a book, John Kabat-Zinn. It said, wherever you go, there you are. And I thought, what a stupid name. Oh. And I picked it up and, you know, just because it seemed so silly and it was in the section on, on uh, self-help and improvement, I picked it up and he was talking about mindfulness. And of course, Kabat-Zinn is one of the, the pioneers of mindfulness in the West. He brought it into, mm -hmm. I think it was Mass General in the, in the United States into Massachusetts University or, or uh, medical school uh, as an intervention for people dealing with, with really dreadful pain. And he spoke about this concept of living in the present. And he spoke about developing the ability to not ask what if, to be okay with the uncertainty of what's happening in the future and to let go what's happened in the past. And he, unfortunately, the book to me at that time was a little bit difficult to get my head around. But fortunately, it got me interested enough to go out searching for lots of other books. And the, ones I, the one I lit upon, in case anybody's listening to this and they're in that same spiral, was one written by a man called Mark Williams uh, from Oxford University. And it's okay. called Finding Peace in a Frantic World. And uh -huh. he included in that a recording of a six-week mindfulness program. And I, I am not joking you when I tell you that the first three, four days of that program changed my life. Just picking up the book from Kabat-Zinn in retrospect, I realized was a watershed and it changed my life. Working uh -huh. through with Mark Williams and working through that program, that completely turned everything around. I now am an entirely different 
person in terms of the way I deal with myself when I'm challenged. And I, I have a tool set courtesy of mindfulness and emotional intelligence that allows me to look at myself when I'm challenged by difficult emotions and to deal with yeah. them, not to push them down, not to try to smatter them over or varnish them over with positive uh, thinking or artificial positive thinking. And so when you say to me, were there, there are things that changed my life? One was, was Jim, because the realization that who you are in this world really matters to, to the, the impact you have. And the second one was, uh, as I say, John Kabat-Zinn or Mark Williams both, who started me on a path that I continue to be on where I have a daily practice every day, where I try to figure out how do I keep myself in the present in a world that continually wants to drag me back into the past or forward into the future. And uh, it has greatly changed the way I, I show up. And I think it's also given me a much greater empathy for the suffering of absolutely every person I meet because I know I don't care how smiley somebody is all over their face. Every one of them has days or weeks or months like I had a year and we all suffer and, and it's worth it for what we get out of life, but we all suffer and we don't have to suffer quite as much as we do. So that, that's, sorry, very long answer to a very short question. Oh, well, I, I think you have been very honest and very rich in your sharing of that because a personal journey like that, not a lot of people are able to articulate it and then to, to come and say, this has been the major change for me. And now I have daily habits that help me with that mm. and continue to grow all my muscles around um, maintaining a presence in, in doing that as well, because it's easily easy for things to fall off. Once yep. you start something and then yep. you can get derailed and you go, right. Um, I mean, I think if we think about the type of diets that are out there for people who are looking at losing weight and whatever, we all know how you yo-yo through those or New Year's resolution. Who sets those every year and realizes that <laughs> within the first couple of weeks or months, they've gone yeah. down the gut. You know, so you're talking about a habit now through your adversity and vulnerability that you recognized as helpful within two to three days, you said, of that six-week program, um, realizing that it was actually making a difference mm. and to continue to do that. And I know that everybody's lips at the moment, the way we're speaking, it's all about being, well, what are we doing for ourselves? Mm. It's not selfish, but it's actually helping us maintain a sense of presence, but also be the people we want to be. And I think um, I want to thank you for sharing that with us because there are a lot of people who, who find it very difficult to actually verbalise that and share it. Because in, you know, in the family that uh, I grew up, to show a weakness mm. was was not on and so you know in, in my later decades um it's it's easier now to actually say yeah it, i'm having a bloody rough day so <laughs> i um i know derek have a grandson i've got it i'm going going to tout a little bit here but yeah you know just brag a little bit i've got a few more than you and <laughs> I'd, have, <laughs> I'd have to say I know what I do physically around my face and I know the feeling I get physically when I even look at a photograph of those yeah, grand. Yeah, yeah. Now, I have beautiful children of my own, but there's just <laughs> something special about the next generation. Mm. <laughs> and uh, often I look at them and go, you know what, where's the gratitude today 
listen, girlie, you have, you are so lucky. You live in a country where you've brought up four children in freedom, basically. Mm. Uh, other parts of the world, so much. So I'm very grateful to be living at the bottom of the world here and have links to my cousins in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that that next generation to think that somebody has come from you, <laughs> uh, it even makes you more determined to show up in a better place each yeah. day. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? For those those folks who, who don't have kids out there and don't have that experience, and there was a time I, I when my kids came into my life very, very late. They're, um, they're not actually my blood kids. They adopted me when they were three and five years of age, um, courtesy of their mama. <laughs> And so I, I know what it was like to uh, not to have kids. And one of the things that can be really wonderful is to look at other people's children and yeah, to yeah. look at the look at the uh, through the eyes of the parent at the opportunities that those kids have in the world that you and I live in, and to realize, wow, the hope for the next generation with the opportunities that these folks have, it's just so great. We, we are just so blessed in, uh, in the worlds we live in. I'd like to ask you now, it is a way of bringing our conversation to a close. Hmm. We've just started a new decade. Yeah. And we've talked about, you know, all things thriving. How do, how do you thrive in your life and work? And we all have our, our own ways of doing things. But we more and more, we've got a commonality of how we do it. Now, if we're looking for the legacy that we are going to have a part of, but we will never see the results of. That's how I look at what, what I'm doing. Um, what would be something that you think, moving on to a new decade, towards 2030, what is it that the world needs right now? What, do you, what would you offer? Yeah. I think the biggest contribution people of our vintage can make, Carrie, is to, to pass on any wisdom that we've managed to accumulate over time. Now, wisdom is one of those words that is so misdefined that, that I, I really have to just go a little bit deeper on it and, and tell you what I mean. Mm. Um, I mean, wisdom in the real sense. If you listen, say, to Daniel Goleman, for example, Daniel Goleman will tell you that wisdom is just the accumulated um, experience of lots of situations where, from an emotional point of view, you had a bad experience. In other words, wisdom comes from screwing up really, really frequently. Uh, so the more you screw up, the more often or the, the, the more knowledge you grow of yeah. the easy ways to screw up and some of the ways that you won't screw up. And so uh, in everybody who is our vintage walking around, there's a great amount of experience on all of the ways that you can really screw up your life and screw up things and, <laughs> and lose years. And I think one of the, the biggest things that we have a responsibility for doing is passing that on and sharing that. It can be difficult to pass it on to your kids. Um, and I say, you pass it on to your kids by osmosis, but if you sit down with one of your kids and you say, I want to pass you on the wisdom of the ages that I've accumulated along. They say, come on, mom, get a freaking life. You know, you, wisdom, you're joking me. Um, but what you can do is you can find somebody who is an open slate and who, who is a seeker like yourself out in the world uh, in their 20s or in their 30s. And you know, you know them when you meet them who want to be able to tap into what it is that you've learned from this journey and just give a little bit of mentoring and be open to provide a little bit of mentoring and a little bit of support. And I think if that happened in our modern age, to the extent it used to happen in previous times, 
I think we put a generation out that with all of their great knowledge, their incredible resources, their incredible attitude to life, if we were able to share with them some of the ways of not to screw up, I think um, mm. we, we could really enrich the, the next generation. So right now, my focus is I am blessed to be able to work with my stepdaughter in the business and she shares with me every day her wisdom coming from a 30-year-old place. And I share with her every day uh, my wisdom coming from a 60-year-old place. And we never actually talk about sharing wisdom. It just happens because we're working together. And that's one way that I really feel that I, mm. I'm making a difference. I'm passing it on. And the other thing, you nailed it, is um, my nieces, my nephews, and, and especially my grandson, who is the, the, uh, the planet <laughs> that we all, or the sun that we all revolve around and orbit around to be able to have the unstressed grandfather approach to parenting <laughs> that child offers yes. such a phenomenal opportunity. You can give them something that their parents, under the pressure they are to do what they have to do as parents in this frantic world, that they can't. You can provide uh, a dimension for those kids that will change their lives forever. And as I move forward right now, that's where my head is when I'm at home. And to be honest, there's a certain amount of that when I'm at work. I'm trying to figure out how do I do something that when it does come to that question that the you know 15 minutes before it lights out, that people say, are you satisfied with your life? That I, I can look and say, yeah, you know what? I didn't do everything I wanted to do, but I did have some positive impact. Yeah, and, and I think that's where we have to be reasonable and not too hard on ourselves, but just yeah. keep saying, I'm going to flourish even better tomorrow. So, yeah. <laughs> oh. look, Derek, thank you very much for sharing a great conversation today. And every one of our episodes, we usually have a bit of a call to action. So this is some of what I've heard from you today. Mm. And listeners, I think if you're looking to show up each day. I love the phrase that Derek shared with us about think with your imagination, not your memory. Our memory can bring us down and we can actually move into, I should have done, I should have done, I should have done. What if, what if? Let's move into our imagination and go, okay, what's another way of doing something? What's another way of showing up that I'm going to try and feel, feel pleased about? What do you have in place for sharing your wisdom with those that you work with, those that you know, perhaps those that you bump into in your day-to-day -day actions, perhaps it's the person on the train that you say hello to and no one has said hello to them all day. How is it that you share your wisdom, whether it is just kindness, a generosity of spirit, or is it with your grandkids, how not to screw up? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so listeners, if you'd like to know more about what Derek does or contact him, Derek, what's your, your most efficient means of communication? What would you like to tell? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, if you want to reach out and you're interested, I, I would say go on to uh, genos, G-E-N-O-S, emotionalintelligence.com. And you'll find out all about what we do. If you want to contact me personally, just uh, reach out via the site there. There's a contact uh, link that'll let you reach out to us. Thank you. And listeners, if you would like to know more about what I do as a leadership coach around my tours and immersions, lots of different programs for us in being able to show up better in our life and our work, contact me at carriebenedette.com. 
as always, we would love a thumbs up if you enjoyed the podcast. So pop onto Apple Podcasts or Podbean. You can find me nearly everywhere all over social media. The same with Derek. And I have to say, I don't have 10 pages of Google mentions to my name. <laughs> anyway, Derek, I hope that the rain stays away and you get a sunny day in Ireland, not a dreary one, which is... <laughs> Which could give you the you know a sense of melancholy, wish yeah. that you were out here in the soaring heat and humidity. <laughs> From your lips to God's ear, Carrie. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure always. All right, thank you, Derek. Same to you. Bye everybody, and just remember your thriving matters, so give life a red hot shot. Bye for now.